listening to sermons from South Point Locust Grove, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. I'm going to shift to some Christmas controversies. My favorite part of Christmas are the controversies. And so we're going to settle a few things here this morning uh, as a church. And these are controversies that come up almost each and every year. Some of these have been around for uh, decades. Some of these are relatively new. So I need a little bit of uh, audience participation, congregation participation, if we want to make that sound a little better. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put a couple of things up on the screen in just a second, Jennifer. Uh, We're going to put some pictures, and I'm going to talk. And here's what I want to do. Wait till... I give you the option, okay, of saying you are either for this or against this. Everybody good? Okay, so then we're going to rate, and we're going to settle once and for all. There are going to be no more Christmas debates over these three or four things, okay? The first one is this, Elf on the Shelf. Is it cute or creepy? Hold on. Is it cute or creepy? So if anybody in the congregation, God forbid, say that the Elf on the Shelf is cute, let me hear you. Clap, cheer, yell, whatever. Okay, so real quick, we're going to pray for these people. Uh, if you say it's creepy, let me hear you. Uh, amen. And all God's people said? Yeah, let it be. Secondly, colored lights or white lights? Mm. I'll give you a moment, let the spirit move. This is a controversy in my home, not because of me and my wife, but because of where my wife came from. Her parents, you thought I was going to say Butts County. I don't have time to discuss that. So she loves white lights. I'll tell you what she actually loves more than white lights is having her husband put the white lights on the Christmas tree. And if it doesn't look just like the Macy's Christmas tree, then we have issues. So you thought that trying to get the tree straight was bad? All right, colored lights, people. Let me hear you. And all of God's people, the white lights. Oh, man. I'm just kidding. I really don't care. That was just for my wife. All right, the third one. Now, this one's this one. We're getting uh, we're diving in a little bit deeper. Okay, we're kind of wading into the deep end. The third controversy: Die Hard. Is it a Christmas movie or is it not? And I kind of I kind of uh, floated this one out here this morning. I didn't realize it was going to be. Hmm. I don't know. So divisive, divisive. Uh, which is interesting that you can pronounce that word two different ways. Ironic, but. If you would say that Die Hard is not a Christmas movie, let me hear you. Interesting. Now, the other side, my people, if you would say that Christmas just ain't Christmas unless John McClane is jumping off the Nakatomi Tower, let me hear you. We've settled it. Three for three. Okay, last one that we have here. Would you, do you prefer a real tree or a fake tree? First, everybody, everybody got it? Okay, I'll go with my preference first on this one. Okay, the other ones, I gave this away. So if you would say a real tree, let me hear you. Wow, okay. Again, my wife has to have the phrase refer, which if you've been to a tree farm, is not the cheapest one there. But I love her. Supposedly. If you would say the easier option, the fake tree, let me hear you. I think the real tree actually won. The real tree won. 
I read a report uh, this past week. There was a lady in Australia. She went and got a real tree. This may dissuade some of you from ever getting a real tree again. She went out and she got a real Christmas tree. She brought it home. She decorated it that evening. She goes to bed. The next morning she wakes up, makes, makes a cup of coffee. True story. She makes a cup of coffee. She sits down beside her fireplace and she's looking at her beautiful Christmas tree during Christmas time. And she sees this one ornament near the top that she said, man, I don't remember putting that ornament on the tree. She gets up closer to the tree, and lo and behold, it is a real live king snake that is there in her real Christmas tree that was probably there when she brought it home. That's for free. You don't have to tithe on that. That's just there. Maybe that would help with some uh, persuasion there in your home. When we come to Christmas, we have all sorts of controversy. We have some of these things which are funny and lighthearted, but then for all of us, there's usually this longing, this groaning that we struggle with, especially during this time of year. But here's one thing, friends, that we can all agree on. Our world is broken. If I said, who agrees with that? Yeah, our world is broken. We can simply look around. If I were to ask you this morning, who needs some hope? Who is in need of a little bit of hope in any variety of things in your life? Who would raise their hands? Show of hands, a little bit of hope. Yeah, no controversy on that one, right? We see it everywhere we look, whether it's on social media or on the news. We see it in our homes, in our schools. Prescription medications are at an all-time high because we're dealing with suicide rates, with depression. We're dealing with... Uh, folks being murdered to a greater degree than we've seen in the past, we see this all around us. It's just, it's a microcosm of the fall. But here's what I want us to see this morning. Now, here's what happens. Here's what happens. We get to this time of year. Here's what's even crazy. Before, I, before we look at some truth, we have all of these things happening, mostly during the year. And then we get to Christmas and we have this nice, cute little uh, like a, a Winnie the Pooh style band-aid that we put over all of that pain and all of that suffering, all of those wounds, and we have this band-aid of Christmas. And every single year, if you see the promise of Christmas in the ads, in the commercials, in your, in your social media feed, the promise is this, you can have a better life if you just buy this vehicle for your wife. If, you know, you've seen the commercial... And she, uh, the guy like whistles and the dog comes running along and it's like, oh, wow, what a great Christmas present. And the wife whistles and this giant, you know, like GMC Sierra something F750, like comes driving around, I don't know. And it's like, wow, now that, that, you think a dog is gonna make all your dreams come true? That vehicle, which you can't afford the gas for, that's gonna make all your dreams come true. That's what Christmas promises. And, promises, and then guess what's gonna happen next year? The same thing. Year after year after year, it promises it's going to make your life better, maybe for a few minutes, hours, days, maybe even weeks or months. But next year, we're going to experience the exact same thing because Christmas is not a permanent fix. But here's what I want to see this morning. Here's the truth that we're going to see from God's word. Here's the definition that we're giving to hope. So if you're a note taker, here it is. Hope is groaning inwardly. It's groaning inwardly while waiting with confidence that the best is yet to come. Hope is groaning inwardly while waiting with confidence that the best is yet to come. I want to, I, I use this almost every Sunday, but I want to, I want us to make this prayer as we step in to this time in God's word together. I want us to ask the spirit to illuminate his word to us. And I like to use this verse from Psalm chapter 119. And so as I say these words, would you pray these words and say these words after me? 
Let's make this our prayer corporately before God that our hearts would be attuned with his. Open my eyes that I might receive your wonderful word to me. Amen. May that be our prayer together. Let's go to the New Testament, the book of 1 Thessalonians. It's one of those weird sounding books, like a good hard cheese. You know what I'm talking about? 1 Thessalonians. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 18. I'm going to read these passages to us, and then, uh, and then we're going to walk through these. And I want us to see how we can walk out of this room this morning with hope, with a greater sense of hope. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 13, Paul's writing this letter there in the first century. He says, but we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will also bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will ascend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Then the last verse he says right here, therefore, because of that, encourage one another with these words encourage one another with what it means to have true hope. The reason that Paul is writing this letter there to the church in Thessalonia is because these folks have misunderstood some of the things that he's already told them. They thought that those who were already dead or those who were sick and dying, that they were going to miss the coming of the Lord. They knew that Christ had come one time, that he had ascended back up into heaven. This is during the first century church age. And they were scared, man, if these folks are dying, they're going to miss the coming of the Lord. So Paul steps in. He says, no, no, no. Let, let me explain to you how this is going to work. Let me give you a solid definition of what hope is. So we're going to walk through these verses. But the first thing I want us to see is what hope is not. So we saw in verse number 13, we saw that he here begins talking about hope. He says, but we don't want you to be uninformed, but we want you to have hope. So here are some things that hope is not. First, hope is not emotion. It is not emotion. Quick caveat, uh, some of you, when you feel uh, a sense of loss or that you've lost hope, you can feel that in your gut. You feel it in your shoulders. Even something kind of, um, kind of lame, relatively speaking, to eternity. But as soon as your team misses that, that play at the end of the game, as soon as they miss that field goal, as soon as they miss that shot, whatever that is, you can feel it. Oh, man, I had hope. It's gone. There is an emotional side to hope, Right? But hope is not just emotion. It's way more. We feel it in our shoulders, in our gut, in our mind, in our heart. We feel that hope drop. But hope is not simply emotion. The second thing that hope is not, it's not simply optimism. Man, just stay the course. Think real positive. Everything's going to work out. Just kind of buckle in and hope for the It's not just optimism. There may be some of that there. But hope is not, by definition, optimism. The third thing that hope is not, it is not blind. It's not blind. Here's the good news for us, and we've seen this throughout the book of Daniel. If you've been here for the past couple of months, we walked through the first six chapters. But we may not know the future, 
but we know the one who holds the future, amen? So hope is not blind because we have Jesus Christ. The fourth thing that hope is not, it's not wishful. It's not wishful. Now we're gonna talk in a minute about what true hope is. And so when we're talking about a biblical definition of hope, it's not simply wishful. Now there are, there are times when I was driving here this morning and, uh, or a, a friend of mine was driving one time and I heard him say this, he or she, but I was driving here this, okay, it was me, okay. I was driving here this morning uh, listening to a song and I passed a cop, which I love. And I looked at my speedometer. You know what I thought? I wish he did not have his speed gun tracking my speed when I passed by him. I hope he doesn't pull me over. Anybody there? Yeah, yeah. I hope that I win the lottery. I hope that my team wins. I hope that I can get this job. Many of those things are simply wishful as we're saying those things. So hope is not simply wishful. The, the last thing that hope is not, is not just positive thinking. A lot of times what positive thinking alone in and of itself can lead us to is to actually denying reality. To denying, but if, we, if you go back and you're reminded of that definition that we have of hope, there's this tension there. We're admitting something is wrong and we're saying the best is yet to come. There's a tension there. So I want us to see from this passage what hope is. If you see uh, in five things, so we have five things that hope is not, but we see five things that hope is. If you look back at verse number 15, we see that hope is shaped by the scriptures. Look at verse 15 with me. For this we declare to you by the word from the Lord. It's by the word of God. Our hope is based on, if you look, see that number six right there beside Lord, Okay, so a quick little Bible study tip. Those numbers and those letters are there for a reason. If you go down to the bottom of your page, if you have that, it says, or by the word of the Lord. So either a word from the Lord or by a word of the Lord. Either way, our hope is based in the scriptures. Romans chapter 15, in verse number four, it says this. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have, guess what the word is? hope. We have the word of God so that we can look back and say, our hope is not just blind. It's not just wishful, but it's founded on the word of God. Why is this important? Because secondly, what hope is, hope is based on the character of God. It's based on who God is. Hebrews chapter six, it says this here in verses 17 and 18, I believe. It says, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. He's saying, I'm going to declare with an oath that cannot be broken what my character is. Notice what he says here in verse number 18. He says, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the, come on, man. At least say Jesus. I mean, this is church. Mm, I wonder what word he's talking about there. You know, this is a math class. So that we might hold fast to the hope set before us. It's the character and nature of God. He cannot lie. He cannot change. So if, his, if he says, this is my word, is this his word? Yes. So our hope, our encouragement is from the word of God. The third thing is that hope is grounded in God's past actions. It's grounded in God's past actions. And we see this here in the scripture. We just saw it in Hebrews. We just saw it in Romans. We have all of this before Romans, all of this before Hebrews, looking at what God has done. 
It begins with the creation of the world. We see it with the fall. We see God's people, as we're looking uh, at the book of Daniel, God's people in exile. And what are they saying? How long? This groaning, how long until you show up? We see the book of Psalms over and over. How long must we wait? And then notice what we see here in verse number 14. We see, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. So all of this encouragement through the Old Testament, they were, it was all pointing toward something. They were waiting, longing for a Messiah, for a Savior. And then in verse 14, Paul says, it's Jesus. This is what God has done. The ultimate fulfillment of his promise is Jesus who died and rose again. And he's going to bring those who have fallen asleep. He's saying our hope is the fact that death is nothing more than taking a nap. Anybody love an afternoon, Sunday afternoon nap? Yeah, praise God. I am zonked on Sunday afternoons. Death is nothing more than that. You're like, yes, yeah, a little bit more. But I never, hardly, I rarely take a nap on Sunday afternoons, usually in the second quarter of the Falcons game. Because why not? Nothing else better going on. I start taking a nap in the second quarter when things, you know, my hope is waning. And uh, I never think, oh man, I hope I wake up by the fourth quarter. I might die. No, I'm usually thinking, all right, wake up in the fourth quarter, be disappointed, and then go turn on the 49ers game, right? So watch some decent football. He's saying we can have that same confidence that we're going to wake up that when we die, we're going to see Jesus Christ face to face because he died and rose for us. The, last, or the fourth thing is that hope in hope we can be confident about the future. We can be confident about the future. And if we notice, we're right here in the church age. So he looks back and says, all these Old Testament scriptures have talked about what God has done, pointing to Christ. We have Jesus who died and rose. And now, look, church, you've seen this. We had prophecy. We have the Holy Spirit that has been sent to you there in the book of Acts. We can be confident about the future because all of these promises have come true. We look at verse number 16 with me. He says, for the Lord himself will descend. So he's saying now, we got the church age, we got the Holy Spirit, we got the prophecy, and we're looking forward to Christ's second coming. So the same hope that was fulfilled in Jesus' first coming, we can have that hope about his second coming. So here he talks about it, verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, that's us if we're still alive, true for us today still, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Now, look at what do we see in verse number 17? What's the phrase that we saw there? Caught up. This is the word, the same word that we have in English for rapture. Now, we can have arguments about that. We can, uh, we can pontificate about, okay, what does this verse mean? What does it mean to be called up? Can I tell you what it doesn't say? It doesn't say, okay, here's exactly when it's going to happen. Here's how it's going to happen. What about us? It says, okay, we're going to meet the Lord in the air. Where's the Lord going after that? Is he actually coming down to rule and to reign for it? Are we going back up there during a triple? We don't know. We, don't. we can have plenty. Everybody say plenty. Amen. When it comes to eschatology, plenty of controversy when it comes to what's going to happen in the future. But here's the point that Paul is making. The one thing that we can all agree on is that human history is going somewhere. God has a plan for his people. God has a plan for the church. He is returning. As sure as you can see me up here this morning, 
As sure as the sun is rising, as sure as Jesus Christ lived and died and rose again, he is returning for his people. The point of this passage is not theological. It's not so a bunch of uh, stuffed shirt guys can, you know, push their uh, wire rims further up their nose, and so they can write stuff and feel better. It's not theological. The point of this passage is doxological. It's not to simply inform us about who God is. It's to bring us to worship. Doxology. Praise God. This should cause us to worship. This should give us reason to be confident, to celebrate to anticipate Jesus coming again. He is coming again. And then lastly, fifthly, hope is more powerful than death. Hope is more powerful than death. The, the way, I, as we think about this passage, Paul here is setting up this past hope that we have, and we've talked about that. He's saying, here's your future hope. And so when we add past with future, what does that equal? present. He's saying, I'm writing to you presently. Here's what has happened. Here's what's going to happen. And so we can have hope today. We call this the already not yet. The already Christ's kingdom has come and it has not come fully, not yet. That's why we look around. We can see things of beauty and we can see things of evil. We see life and we see death. We're in the middle of this tension. Y'all feel this tension? And sometimes even within us, it fluctuates back and forth. He says, but hope is more powerful than death. He's not saying that being a Christian is just happy, clappy. This is amazing. Let's sing some more songs and everybody smile. Put on your happy face because everything is awesome. You know, he's not saying, he's not, don't, he's not saying live your best life now. No, this is great. What he's saying is, you can look hopelessness in the face and you can bear the weight of despair on your shoulders and maintain hope that the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power that fills us through the Holy Spirit. That's why we have confidence. That's why we have hope. That's why we have reason to celebrate. If you look at verse number 18, he says, therefore, when we're reading the Bible, you know this, but when we see the word therefore, what do we ask? What's it there for? There are those kinds of people, you know. <laughs> therefore, because of all that, no offense, encourage one another with these words. We need to be reminded of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. When it seems dark, when you can't see your hand in front of your face, spiritually, emotionally, sometimes physically, there is nothing more real than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to go back. I want us to look at five things, but I want us to go back. Here's what we stated before. Here's the definition that we've given to hope. Hope is groaning inwardly while waiting with confidence that the best is yet to come. You see the tension? We feel that? It's like, yeah, man, I think I can step into that. I, I want us to see five principles or truths this morning, five things that we can walk away with with hope. Everybody okay with that? We got the number five. 
pretty solid this morning, okay? The first thing that I want us to see this morning is that the object of your hope, the object of your hope determines how you live today. Whatever you see as being your deepest desire or your ultimate good, you are going to give yourself to that thing. You're going to spend your time, your resources, your money, your thought life, your efforts. You're going to stay up late. You're going to get up early because you are hoping that that ultimate good is going to bring you satisfaction. What is the object of your hope? You're not going to hope in something that you think is not going to satisfy you. We're always hoping in what we think is going to bring us ultimate satisfaction. And we build our lives around that. So here's the second thing that I want us to see this morning out of five is that there are two options for hope. One is a dead hope and one is a living hope. Dead hope, we can define it as this. It's what we look forward to that soon lies behind us. So if you take all your hopes and put them into one of these two categories, you might get real sad in here real quick. What we look forward to that soon lies behind us. On Christmas morning, your kids are looking forward to their next present to bring them ultimate joy and hope, right? And guess what? They may have just opened an awesome gift, but there's another one over there. And as much satisfaction as I feel with this one, I can get even more satisfaction with that one. And guess what's going to happen by one o'clock at your house? They're going to be fully satisfied, am I right? And that satisfaction is never going to dis... No. They're going to be playing with the boxes to all that junk. You're like, man, crazy kids. I'm glad I'm not that way. We are exactly the same way. Whether it comes to intimacy, whether it's real with your spouse or it's fake with someone who's not your spouse or on the screen, it doesn't just, we don't just engage in that one time. Whoo, satisfied. Again, again, over and over, we call ourselves addicted. We need more and more, and we can never feel that same way again. What about food? Have you ever eaten the perfect medium rare steak, and you thought, I never need to eat steak again. I ate it. No. What you, I can't wait to eat this again. You ever wake up in the morning and start planning when you're going to take a nap that day? There's two of us. <laughs> Because we can never have enough rest. You just got through resting. Man, I can't wait to do this again. Job promotions, success, kids, figuring something out. What? You just, I want to finish a series on Netflix. Man, I never need to watch it. No. They're never satisfied. And here's, here's the problem, friends, is that with every single one of those dead hopes, intimacy, food, Success, a better job, a raise, more money, more satisfaction, people appreciating me. We don't need Jesus for any of those, for none of those things. That's how we know that it's a dead hope. If you want to go even further, oftentimes, what's crazy, we can say, yeah, you know what, you're right. But what's crazier than that is that we often go to our living hope, Jesus Christ, and try to get him to give us our dead hopes. Consider what you pray for. It's wild. So then we have the living hope, which is the person, power, promise, and presence of Jesus. Wish I could have had a fifth P now that I think about it, just so we get around out that number five. 
The person, power, promise, and presence of Jesus. The promise of living hope is not that everything is going to go amazingly well. It's not that you're going to get out of this season of longing that you're in. The promise of living hope is that Jesus will be with you in the midst of your longing. That is the promise of living hope. Encourage each other with these words. We can only think in dimensions that we can arrange or that we can control. Those things that we can see. Because we cannot actually create newness. You're like, well, I can create a song. With what? Instruments that are already there. Well, I can create an instrument. With what? Wood that's already there. Well, I can grow a tree. With what? A seed. Like, we can never actually create ex nihilo out of nothing. We need resources. That's how we function. But can you imagine for a second life? What life would be like if there was no expectation of things being new? Of actual newness? Man, that's so sad. And yet we, I was, I was listening to a podcast this past week. It uh, may or may not have been uh, somebody whose name rhymes with uh, Snow Logan. And on there, he had um, uh, a scientist who, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. And they were talking about the beginnings of the universe. And he keeps walking back 14 billion years. And here's how we can see it. And he finally gets back to the back and Snow uh, asks uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, he says, okay, so where did that come from? And he goes into this whole theory about how there are infinite numbers of realities. And I'm like, really? You're, this is your best explanation of hope? This, this is sad. No wonder our lives lack meaning and purpose. But friends, can I speak to the church here this morning? We do the exact same thing when we limit the power of God in his ability to create. How many times have your life group gone something like this? We do a couple of things often. We do this with ourselves. We limit the power of God. We limit the living hope. The first thing that we do is we deaden our hope. Man, I hope that our marriage relationship can look like this. Here's how we deaden it. Well, that's just not really who my husband or wife is. There's no more longing there. There's no more expectation. There's no more hope. Or we say something like, I'm done wanting this thing. Man, I've been longing for this. Whatever it is, a job, a child, I'm done with it. And what we do is we take that desire and we turn it into the enemy. And that desire may be God-given. And friends, we don't want to wait. So we deaden that hope. We deaden the desire. The second thing that we do is we, we become cynical. Any cynics in the room? Everybody who just smiled at me? Yes. I'm talking to you. Yeah. I'm one too. We become cynical. We decide not to pursue that job, not to pursue that relationship, because in the past we have and it hasn't worked out. Well, if God wanted me to have it, I, I guess it's just God's fault. I guess I'll just keep trudging along. And we move to optimism. Well, it's going to get better. Hey, man, my kids are having a real difficult time right this. Can you help me through this? Yep, just hunker down. What kind of hope is that? Just, I don't know, you know, stick them in a box until they turn 18. Put a couple of holes in it so you can give them food. 
Like, there's no hope in that. We're designed, we're meant to long not to be cynical. What about this one? Man, God is sovereign, uh, and so you just gotta just let go. Let, let go and let God, amen? Now, is God sovereign? Yes and amen. I'm all about it. But when we read the scriptures, what do we see men and women doing? Wrestling with, struggling with, pleading the heart of the Father. Not saying, oh, well, the world's just broken. I have all of my longings met in heaven. Just gotta wait till we get there. No, they're longing, they're struggling, they're wrestling now. And here's the third thing that I want us to see is that God can bring something beautiful. God can bring something beautiful from the hopeless, desperate, barren places of your life. Because in the same way that we can't create, God spoke and out of nothing, the world appeared. God spoke and out of darkness came light. God bent down and with a little bit of dirt and clay, he created man. God spoke and from Sarah's barren womb came a covenant people. God spoke and out of slavery, we find a new community of God's people. God spoke and a virgin birthed our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Your issues are not too big for God. They may be worse than that. They might be. But our God is able, he is capable of bringing something beautiful from your life. The Lord can move. Here's the thing. Hope is reasonable. You're like, ah, oh, well, yeah, this is just spiritual. Can I, can I appeal to your mind just for a moment? Hope is reasonable because God can move despite the data of your life. He is not limited by categories. He's not limited by things that we see, things that we can control, these certain areas. He can create something beautiful. The fourth thing that we see is that the beauty of Christmas is just the beginning of the story. It's not the end. Revelation chapter 21. We see here in verse number five. And this is, again, looking ahead to the future to give us hope in the present. John writes this, and he who is seated on the throne, this is Jesus Christ speaking, behold, I am making all things new. Behold, I, Jesus Christ, am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. You can rely on it because of who I am, because of what I've done in the past. The return of the king, when he comes again, is going to be the end of death, of sickness, of tumors, of worry, of darkness, of kids who won't obey, relational strife, of marriage trauma, it's going to be the end. But here's the good news this morning, friend. We can have hope today because Jesus Christ came and began his kingdom. He began his kingdom. He inaugurated, he started his kingdom. And when he heals, when he performs miracles, what, is, what does he say? We saw in the book of Luke, he says, the kingdom of God is here. You're looking at a living hope. 
the last thing that I want us to see this morning, the fifth truth of principle is this, is that we had an appointment with eternal death, but Jesus showed up in our place. We had an appointment with death. Maybe you think, man, God has disappointed me so often. The word disappoint means you miss an appointment. And you think, I've given, I've given him a list of things, and he has not met one of these appointments in my life. The worst, the greatest appointment that you had, friend, because we have all fallen short of the glory of God, is that of eternal death and separation from God our Father. In Jesus Christ, on the cross, he showed up in our place. Before he did that, he says, he says to you this morning, this path of pain, of betrayal, of abandon, of hopelessness, of depression, anxiety, of worry, he says, I've walked this path. I know this path. He says, I know you. He showed up in your place. The, uh, the 19th century philosopher, uh, Frederick Nietzsche, you're probably familiar with some of his writings. I couldn't sleep last night, so I started uh, reading one of his old books for no apparent reason. I'm not recommending him, by the way, because he said this, or he said a lot of jacked up stuff. But here's one of the things he said. He said that hope is the evil of all evils because we can never get out of this torment that we call life. Hope is the evil of all evils. But friend, Jesus did not come down here to earth to give us a better life while we're here. Jesus came down and gave us himself. How many times have you been disappointed in God? How many times have you found your prayers unanswered? How many times do you feel like he's distant? And yet we keep going back to him over and over and over again. Nietzsche would call that foolish. The Bible calls that hope. And I would plead with you this morning, when we look at the scriptures, Jesus Christ has given us himself. Therefore, we can have hope, and not just a dead hope, but a living hope. I was talking to, I was talking to Luke this past week, and we were talking about all the money we're spending on our wives for Christmas and, uh, and all of our Amazon packages that are coming in. And we were talking about how uh, we order these things on Amazon and, uh, and we keep looking on the front door for these packages to show up, right? Big, enormous, like diamond studded, you know, uh, gold laden, I don't know, not really. Uh, and we kept talking about how we're looking forward to when that box is going to be on the front. Man, it's here. I can't wait. Now I get to go inside and hide it. And then I get to wrap it. And then I get to wait more, you know? But what's crazy is we're going to get a notification on our phone when it's there. The delivery driver is going to come up and he's going to chuck it from like, you know, 42 feet away. Uh, I mean, if Matt Ryan, I can't even do that. So uh, he grabs his, his phone, takes a picture. There it is. We get a text or an update immediately on our phone, then we know for sure that the package is there on our front porch, what the box looks like, how the tape is, where it is in comparison to our door, all these different things. We see the picture. We know it's there perfectly. It's done. But what do we do in the meantime? 
We know the package is going to be there. And when it gets there, we have confidence in that. But we're still in hope and anticipation. We can't wait. We keep looking out the blinds, out the curtains. We keep, let me go check the mail. Let me check the, oh man, it's not here yet. You're like, man, you're crazy. You might not be crazy. You might just be hopeful. Because hope is groaning inwardly with that tension while waiting with confidence that the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. I, um, when we were splitting up words, these topics I talked about at Advent, um, I chose the word hope. I had first dibs because I'm actually my dad's boss. He can't find the podcast. He won't hear that, so it's okay. Go ahead and email it to him. He doesn't know his password. He doesn't have Facebook. It doesn't matter. Uh, I chose the word hope because the last time I preached at, uh, here on the stage was July 25th of 2021, almost a year and a half ago. And that Sunday, I preached on Psalm 88, what Spurgeon called the dark night of the soul. Just, and, and the question that I asked that morning, I think, was something like, where have you gone? In the midst of this lonely, hopeless life, where is God? And, and I stood up here, and um, n- nobody knew this, and this is going to be real tough to get through. Um, and it's tough to get through, not because of me, but because I know where some of y'all are, because of where some of y'all have been in the past year. Uh, a couple days before, I started feeling a little lightheaded. Um, I, I started to the point where I couldn't stand still. felt like I was constantly about to have a stroke. I got up here that morning, and I actually uh, gave the welcome or something, and I, I kept just moving back and forth. Because if I stood still, I was going to pass out and just fall back. So I got up here to preach that morning, Psalm 88. I gave some sort of pithy introduction. And uh, then I went to read Psalm 88. And I looked down at my scriptures, and I could not read the words. And they were just moving like this all over. Couldn't see them. Uh, So I stopped and prayed. I said, hey, let's just, you know, this is what you do if you need a transition, like, you know, chord change or, you know, you need to go turn on a monitor, you know, whatever. You just pray, right? best transition ever. So I prayed. And in that prayer, I specifically asked God, kind of in passing, I didn't want to make a big deal about it, that I could see the words on the page. And I meant it literally. I could not see. I opened my eyes and uh, miraculously, I could see the words. Barely. I read the words. Um, For the next four months of my life, they were the darkest days that I've ever experienced. I, I couldn't sleep because when I did, I, when I closed my eyes, it was like a, when you go to a carnival and it's a room full of mirrors. Everywhere you look, you're lost. The problem is that every single one of those mirrors was flying at me and I was scared to death for no reason. It got to the point where every single night uh, and we had, we had just moved to a new house. Nope, nothing wrong, no problem. You're like, ah, oh, well, what was the sin? I don't know. I'm a sinner. That's the problem. Still here on this earth. 
I got to the point where every single night, all I was doing was crying. One night about a year ago, probably a year ago this week, my brother came into town, the chosen one, if you know Fat Matt. Uh, he came into town, and we went to Chick-fil-A to eat dinner. And the whole time we were eating dinner, I was seeing her rubbing my head, and uh, just because it, it just, it hurt so bad, and because I couldn't focus. And we got in the car, and uh, fine dinner. I got in the car and started bawling. And she said, what are you crying about? I said, I have no freaking idea. Every single night was that way. I lay on the couch and cry for hours about nothing. I couldn't, I couldn't function. I couldn't work. I couldn't play with my kids. They would, they would say, hey, come outside and play with us. I go outside and, and manage, like no joke, five or 10 minutes. And I just got to go back inside. I am spent, physically, emotionally, spiritually spent. No explanation for it. I went to doctor after doctor after doctor, had dozens of tests run on my body, on my eyes, my ears, ENT, had, had a brain scan. I'm on WebMD, which is the worst thing in the world to do. Uh, it's like Amazon Prime Day, like in the upside down. Like, it's just the worst, you know? Uh, there are a lot of references right there. I wasn't planning on saying that, but um, there's a, that was a really loaded uh, analogy. But that's WebMD for you. Like, you just get sucked in and you can't get out. I'm thinking it's all of these things. Uh, I, I go to get my, my blood checked. I get my hormones checked. I'm running tests. I can, I can barely function. I would get up to, uh, to preach at McDonough, and I couldn't, I couldn't focus, couldn't think, couldn't rem remember anything. I would look at people, and it's like you were just getting further and further as I'm looking at you, standing face to face all the time. Didn't want to meet with people, didn't want to read about nothing. It finally got to the point, uh, I went to a neurologist. Uh, he checked my brain waves. He said, uh, very low activity, but it looks normal. So <laughs> we're surprised, but there's nothing actually wrong there. It got to the point, though, um, and I told my wife this later. I told Chris Brown this later. But I said, I got to the point where I kept telling myself, I cannot live like this. Not that I don't want to. I cannot live like this. And so multiple times, I remember driving uh, between Locust Grove and McDonough, sometimes late at night, flying up the road as fast as my little CRV in its turbocharged four-cylinder would go. Flying up the road thinking, okay, where's the next tree? You think that one? Would that one do enough damage to this vehicle and to me to take me out? Because I can't function like this. And the only thing that kept me on the road was my 11-year-old and my 7-year-old. And I thought, that's why I'm here. It's for them. Sheena said, not me. I said, no, I've got really good life insurance. You're still young and attractive. Like you, you can do better. Some of you this morning, you come in, you're like, yeah, that's me. I feel like I'm falling. Even when I preached that sermon, I looked out and knew that some of y'all were there. That's why that sermon hurts so bad. And some of y'all this morning, you're like, I might not be there this morning. It may be something else, maybe something else in my life. I've been with several people this, uh, this week. Relational strife in and among families. Marriage is on the brink of divorce. I got an email this morning to the prayer request um, email from the church and just a litany of requests. This guy's life is jacked up, man. Just messed up. And maybe you think, man, I, 
I know what you're talking about. You feel like you're falling down this dark hole. You're just waiting to hit the bottom, but you never do. Anybody ever been there? When is it going to end? Eventually, sorry, uh, I go to the doctor and uh, I, I get diagnosed um, with major depressive disorder. And, uh, and um, panic anxiety. Now, for some people, that's a badge of honor. It's like, yes, I get to be on medication. I get to fit in with 23% of America. As soon as I went to the doctor, I did what I did when I went to every single doctor, and they said, yeah, nothing's wrong with you physically. Nothing's wrong with you, nothing's wrong with you physically. Nine different doctors told me that. I got in my car, and I cried. I bawled like a baby. Because it was at that point I realized I've done everything that I can do and I can't control this situation. There's not a way that I can rearrange the data. I can't figure this out. And I've never not been able to figure most things out in my life. We can, we can work through that and figure it out. I couldn't do it. It was in that moment and through that period where I realized my only hope is Jesus Christ. In the midst of that darkness, all I have is Jesus. I don't have the applause and the approval of man. It's insufficient. Sure, I mean, my wife, incredibly helpful, gracious, merciful. It's been a crazy year for her too. At times she thought she was literally going to lose me, either because of my choosing or, or something else. It's been difficult. Medication, helpful, sure. Maybe it's helpful for you. Could, I, I don't know. It's insufficient for your soul. Relationship, talking to, and I've seen Keith, I don't know. Rachel told me this past week that I call him every single day. Um, it's for my soul, Rachel, okay? Don't be mad about that. I talked to Keith. Counseling, great, amazing, insufficient, to change your soul. My hope is not in counseling. It's not in medication. It's not in learning more about myself. It's not in getting better rest or a better diet or drinking more caffeine or less caffeine or whatever it is. My hope, our hope has to be in Christ and him alone. That's it. Everything else is insufficient for hope. This morning, maybe you feel like you're at the end of your road or you know somebody who is. You feel like you're traveling through darkness. And I'll tell you this. Faith is not the things that we can see because we can mostly control, understand, rearrange the things that we can see. But faith is that which we cannot see. So maybe this morning you're like, man, yeah, I, I need some hope, but I feel like I just, I can't reach it. Uh, Peter in first, uh, in first Peter chapter one. This is where he uses that phrase, living hope. The way that you can experience living hope, that faith in the midst of darkness and tragedy is by being born again. He says, that's it. He says, this living hope is for those who've been born in Christ. Bless you. Jesus Christ, friend, listen, and then I'll be done, I promise. 
That was a Mark Powellism right there. Jesus Christ could have been born a thousand times. But if he has not been born inside of you, then you are lost. The, the, there are still struggles. Um, Shannon asked me several times this past week. Um, and she asked me several times a week, hey, are you okay? Are you, is your head doing that thing? Are you checking out? Are you here? Do you, do you need to go lay down? Like, it's still there. It's still a struggle. But the difference is that through every single layer of all those complexities of life, of childhood, of the year that I was, whatever it is, all those things, my chemical makeup, my uh, personality, choices I've made, choices that were made for me, through all of those layers of complexity, there is an anchor whose name is Jesus Christ. That is where faith lies. And so I would plead with you this morning to surrender to that, to place your faith not in things that you can see, but place your faith in Jesus Christ, whose word is true. We can't see him physically, tangibly today, but his word is true. That means he came, he lived, he died, he took the wrath of God on your behalf, and then he rose victorious over an enemy that we could otherwise not defeat. His word is true, which means he is coming back again in some way. And it's going to be awesome. Today, we live with anticipation, with celebration, with hope in Jesus Christ. The hope is that, not that we're going to have a better life, but our hope is the fact that we get life. Every other dead hope, I hope in something Hope is a verb. I'm pursuing something. Living hope is a noun. We get Jesus. He is our hope. So run to him. Look to him. That, by the way, one of the controversies that we've had in my home for years is when do we start playing Christmas music? My lovely wife <clears throat> is wrong in this one area because she enjoys playing it on November 1st. I enjoy Thanksgiving. So I want to wait till after Thanksgiving. This year, for the first time, I even told her this a few weeks ago, I said, she started playing Christmas music. Normally, I come through the house stomping and throwing stuff, you know, throw an Amazon, you know, Alexa, Echo, whatever's out the window. Not really. I said, I think I'm okay with Christmas music this, this year, being early. And the reason is because I have a different perspective on hope. I have a true living hope. Christ coming during this time of season, us getting to celebrate that advent, that longing, that waiting, it means a little more this year. Hopefully, even this morning as we celebrate communion, we can be reminded of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. As we take these pieces of bread and dip them in this juice, this is a declaration that we are needy, that we are weak, that we are broken. It's saying, I need something besides myself. I need Jesus. This is not simply rote 
It's not just something we do just because we uh, found some bread on clearance at Walmart, uh, just because we want to support some good Methodists, you know, in the name of Welch's. It's because we need a constant, necessary reminder that our hope is not in what we see. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. May that be a reminder for us this morning as we celebrate, even as we groan, as we wait, as we hope. So friends, let's be repenting of our sin, repenting of the things that we're looking to for hope besides Jesus Christ. Let's be reminded of what Christ has done and let's rejoice in the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again. Man, what a loaded time. Dipping juice, dipping bread in juice. We get to experience the presence of Jesus right here with us. So I would invite you, if you are in Christ, if you've repented and you've said, my faith is in Christ and him alone, then you are welcome to join me at one of these stations this morning.